On this episode of The Playbook, I have Nick Keller, the legend, founder and CEO of Benchmark. We are going to talk about how sports bring together all aspects of society and creates opportunities to solve local and even global issues. Join me for all this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host and CEO of Sports One Marketing, David Meltzer. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneur of the Playbook, and I have Nick Keller, founder and CEO of Benchmark. Benchmark is an extraordinary business in London. as four different business units under it, but aligned with compassionate capitalism. There's a bigger purpose to what you do. I know you started as a sports agent, just like I did in my sports career. A lot of people ask, how do you connect the dots backwards from being in one of the most scarce competitive industries into being truly an abundant, social, impactful leader? David, thanks for having us here. And, of course. Uh, excited uh, to be with you. Um, I think the you have to go to the roots, don't you, of, of where you start. And funda- fundamentally for me, um, drawing together sport and social change came very much from the heart of my experience in education. I was a pretty average student. Average would be, <laughs> average is actually being generous. Um, but where I found solace was on the sports field, um, particularly on the rugby pitch. And it's, I suppose, through that experience, and it was a, a hell of a struggle, actually, getting through school, despite how much money my parents threw at the problem. It was still um, always a struggle. And so at the very heart of it, um, sport was a bit of a salvation for me. Um, and it's where I found solace. And I suppose at the heart of everything I've done in business comes down to a, a simple truth that I have a belief that sport um, can have a positive impact on individuals, on community, on society. And n- now I suppose more than ever um, will play and should play a dramatic role in, in what our society looks like at the moment. So there's two schools of thought when it comes to sports, right? Sports is such an emotional attachment. And I think the two schools come from the necessity of sports, that mm. it's a microcosm of the world and we should utilize sports to unite the world and move on. And then there's the school of thought that sports is a distraction, right? That the higher level people that utilize and run the world have utilized sports to distract us from what's truly going on as long as they're on the pitch or watching mm. on TV or their handhelds. Where do you think there's credibility in each of these I mean, look, there's credibility in all these areas. You know, we've seen politicians use large-scale events um, to to drive forward their their country's brand, whether it's a good brand or a bad brand. Um, But at the very most, sport is far more multifaceted than that. Um, It sits at the heart of our communities um, and isn't just a, a pastime. It's a place for learning and education as well and a fundamental part of the growing experience. And if we look at where we are with young people today and the speed and the amount of information um, that's available to them. I I think sport is actually more vital now to slow the world down, um, to show young people that you have to learn a skill, that things aren't so immediate, that you have to play in teams, that that putting your head up from your social media account um, and communing with people in a very authentic way is now completely crucial. Um, to society and I think now more than ever when that multifaceted nature of sport that I believe in 
um, that can lend itself to developing the sustainable development goals and areas of sustainability, uh, can pull communities together, is now at its most vital than I think it's ever been. When I set up Beyond Sport, which is one of my organiz- uh, one of the organisations, 11 years ago, I knew the simple truth. Now I look at sport and I see the real necessity um, and a reasonably urgent one um, that can touch upon all the things that we're worried about at the moment, which is the polarisation in society, which is young people and mental health. Um, and the event we're hosting Um, at the end of this week with the LA Dodgers and Tiger Woods Foundation Beyond Innovation, which is how can sport be used to fill the interest gap around STEM and science, technology, engineering and maths, which is such a vital conversation now. This isn't just where the corporate sector uh, are going to recruit recruit their next data analysts and computer scientists. It's about the very uh, way we deliver sustainability uh, globally. And when I look at benchmark in the business units that you have, there is a separation with technology uh, in the acceleration and growth of technology, especially over the last decade. You know, I find that all of our crucial institutions, when you talk about sport, our financial institutions, our political institutions, our educational institutions, mm-hmm. our financial institutions, our political institutions, all of them are antiquated over a decade. This has never happened before that there's such a separation between what we're doing. The interesting glue, uh, as I look at you and what you're doing, is benchmark. Is that although the financial, the political, sport touches all of those at all times. And a lot of people don't realize how integrated sports is and not just uh, you know their team mm-hmm. or not just their city or state or province. But literally, it is a glue that sticks all of these different antiquated institutions together. And it seems like to me Benchmark is utilizing sport to help accelerate each of those different institutions to create, hopefully, a brighter future instead of a segregated separate future. You know, sport touches on economics, politics, social. Um, It naturally kind of integrates with it all. Um, As we're facing sort of these increasingly complex and challenging times, one of the things that we've noticed and one of the things we do with Beyond Sport is we bring together the private sector, public sector. And what we know that sport really delivers in communities, doesn't it? We all know that if you bring the network that sport has around it, it's pretty staggering that it reaches into so many communities and and we have those governing organisations that connect it all. It's, it's a phenomenally powerful thing. Um, but one of the most important things I think we do is is, is bind them together and we know we can create... Uh, around education, health and inclusion, that sport can have a dramatic impact. It can have an impact around youth justice um, and uh, so many different areas. It can around social justice and peace building. Um, we've seen organizations and funded organizations on the very edge of society disarming gangs. Um, and as we see that happening on a very local level, what we need to do is take sport, add the corporate sector back in and all the innovation the corporate sector brings to it all. And then also bring in the global governance that can expand and really ensure that we hit to scale. Because as much as what some of the sports teams can do in their local area, um, or even an NGO as such, um, what we have to do is the, the, the issues we're dealing with are, are truly global and of a scale that we're that we've never quite seen before Uh, and so ensuring that all the different elements of 
governance, of private sector, of NGO, all that innovation can blend together and we use the infrastructure that's there to make sure we have proper impact globally. So we've touched on Beyond Sport, but there's so much more that you do. And you know, as I look at your business, can you help describe how the business has evolved to where it's at in each of, I think there's four business units yeah, that yeah. you have. So I started off, um, I was actually in real estate. Um, <laughs> like the rest enough. of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, for the lack of not knowing what I wanted to do, I wasn't expected to get to university. I wasn't, um, but I, I worked um, incredibly hard to get there and ended up going to play um, rugby at a very good university at Durham. And then after that, wasn't sure what to do. So did a, an MA and then ended up in the real estate business in the middle of the recession in 91 to 93. Um, and so it wasn't a great time to be there. But then then um, rugby turned professional in that magnificent moment when Mandela handed the trophy over to Francois Pienaar, the South African. We've seen a, a significant moment like that two weeks ago in, in Tokyo. Um, when we saw the first black man for South Africa captain lifting the trophy, uh, considering what the Bok emblem meant during apartheid, that was a truly phenomenal moment. But that started with Mandela and Francois Pina in 95, and the game turned professional the next week. Um, I quit my job that week um, and started up a rugby agency, um, working, uh, literally going to my friends who were going on to play for uh, England and saying, can I manage you? Obviously, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but trust is a very important word, word as you know it yeah. in life. So developing from there, um, we now have a business. And any athletes we look after now sit amongst our consultancy, Think Beyond, which helps brands, corporates, governing bodies, federations, teams, and celebrities. Um, really understand their impact on the world and how they can impact sustainable development um, and what we would call purpose. So we have a consultancy um, organization that works for the likes of Bloomberg, ESPN, uh, Disney, um, some major organizations, and of course the US leagues, who, who we all work with as well, and the IOC. Um, and that's with a global focus. Yeah, so our, our consultancy clients are based globally. Yeah, yeah so we're, we're working very much worldwide with that. Um, we're based in London, have an office in New York um, as well, but work in, in, I think we're in 25 countries working at the moment, and beyond sport itself as a platform reaches 140 countries. Wow. Um, and we do significant funding worldwide for some of the best organizations out there that are delivering social change. Um, I've also, um, I suppose we've also developed what I call a health and fitness and purpose offering through a relay race that happens in 13 cities around the world, or it will be 13 this year. Um, and that's called the Bloomberg Square Mile Relay, which is a, a phenomenal corporate um, relay race. Uh, 10 people run one mile each, has a phenomenal I'm social in. piece to it. Oh, it's great fun. <laughs> that's good. It's one mile. That's right on my alley. You know, it's one mile with a baton in hand, and people haven't held a baton since they were at school. They get very excited about that. <laughs> um, and that, that's a really, uh, that's grown quite dramatically from one city in London um, now to 12 cities, um, particularly really exciting. Sh uh, you know, Singapore, uh, Shanghai, Beijing, uh, San Paolo, San Francisco, London. It's, uh, you know, a really exciting um, race. Um, and then um, where I really started actually to, to 
grow my network is I've been running something called the Sport Industry Group in the UK now for nearly 20 years. And that's the main network for sport in the UK around sport. And we run uh, the Sport Industry Awards, which is the largest commercial sport awards um, in the world. Um, Around 1,700 people attend that every year. So that's a really exciting element. And finally, we have an e-sport business. We... um, uh, about a, a couple of years ago, I looked at eSport, didn't quite know what the positioning would be, felt it would be important to own our own rights, um, thought, where's this going to be authentic? And I thought universities are going to be truly authentic. So we signed a unique partnership with the equivalent of the NCAA in the UK. Um, so for the next uh, 10 years, we own the rights for British University championships around eSport. And it's a wonderful way of engaging young people around STEM as well and, uh, and uh, bringing that community together, which is very different from the sports community, but has very much a, a lot in common. As yeah, well. it's extraordinary. I've been involved uh, as an owner, of course, in Splice and yeah. Overactive Media. And yeah. we're blessed to do that, but also with ETF, who's the NCAA here in the United States yeah, yeah. with the top 50 schools right now. Yeah, it's very an involved. interesting area and they're a great community and they understand teamwork and they... You know, they connect into some really fascinating areas. And so one of my fascinations in it is, yes, building a community that can impact on society, being authentic, but also looking at uh, some of the areas where gender play an issue, where STEM plays an issue um, as well. And, yeah. and so we're in physical excited. capability. I love the eSport idea of, you know, everyone is equal uh, when they're okay. playing. E- yeah. Even people that don't have all of their facilities physically can be extremely competitive. Uh, in the space, whether they can walk or not, uh, and not be separated by uh, a para uh, adjective in you know working with the Olympics, I just love the continuity and community that's created. One of the things that I see as a common thread through all the businesses, and mm. I find it remarkable that you know as my career has evolved from selling legal research online mm. to the most notable sports agency, the marketing, the media, and all of these things, I look back and I still think, you know. Here's an average student, maybe a little less than average student, who you know had great tenacity, but you're extremely clever in you know utilizing that first jump into the inner circle. Mm-hmm. And I think both of us have taken advantage of the inner circle that we both you know moved into laterally. Right? I was blessed to be with Lee Steinberg, mm-hmm. who gave me a gold key into the inner circle of sports and entertainment. And you received yours by having the gumption and foresight to go ask your buddies if you could manage them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yet we've evolved to a much more critical role in the world to have great impact. And mm-hmm. I think that's both one of the issues that both of us uh, are looking at is the mental health and well-being. And we talk about community because I think one of the things that I see is I look to impact over a billion people in my life to be happy Mm. because I think, you know, this mentally challenging separateness that exists uh, throughout sports and everything else. And I think sports is a great key to it, but it's really what I see Benchmark is about is you're building communities. So, you know, the interesting thing on the mental health piece, it's always personal, by the way, when someone's in it, and we'll come on to that. We, we've started a platform called uh, Stay in the Game with the U.S. leagues all behind us um, and the uh, Centerstone and the National uh, Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention. And, and we'll be hosting that again this year. We had the first one this year. For a, a, a crucial conversation. Um, the mental health uh, piece is, for me, one of the most exciting pieces about it, 
and where sport can play a really fundamental role is when we look in the workplace, um, there's this complete intersection around performance um, that exists. What I'm interested in is where vulnerability and performance intersect. Um, because we're now at a time where we've got to create uh, environments where people can truly be themselves, where they can express vulnerability and their performance will not be doubted. And where that is that mo- most poignant and exact is between sports coach and athlete. And where you are at the edge of the human capacity physically, emotionally, um, and mentally in many ways. So I think sport has a huge role to play um, in demonstrating to people that it's okay to talk about it. um, That it's vital that actually human performance benefits from vulnerability. And... uh, you know, my journey, and I, uh, you know, I was talking to one of your your team, Jake, in the car over here. And the more crucial sport is when you are younger, the more you have to disentangle yourself later in life. Um, my experience is, and this is applies to a lot of professional sports people that I've worked with. Um, we use it as a crutch to get through some of those most vulnerable moments um, when we are younger. And uh, although I wasn't a professional sports person or I was close to a, a lot of professional sportsmen, it took me 10 years to unravel the insecurity, the anxiety, um, because I've been using sport as a crutch to get me through to those little beasts, little boosts on the ego, the self-esteem that comes from uh, putting a crunching tackle on someone <laughs> or for having the ability to, to take your anger out um, in a legal way. Um, on a sports field and so for me I think sport has a huge role to play to helping young people understand their own mental health issues I think it has a vital role to play I mean we all know the physical benefits don't we of, of, of sport and the mental uh, benefits as well but but playing in that team environment can be a very very positive thing I think we have to be cautious um, to ensure that we don't let kids engage too heavily in sport to the detriment of themselves later on um, in life as well and I think that's quite an important thing it took me a long time to unpick it and rediscover who I was without the crutch of sport that's really interesting I think you know looking at your business and there's so many different causes and purposes and arms to it and a lot of people as this is an entrepreneurial show as well probably like how the heck do you do it all so I'm going to ask you a critical question about just time management and focus so a lot of people have difficulty building one biz- business with 10 people mm. and you have you know so many different businesses and projects and it's a significant level and significant amount of people are involved what is your best advice for time management and focus oh hire remarkable brilliant people um at the end of the day i i've had a fundamental problem i i'd imagine if i was at school now they'd be rolling out adhd they'll be rolling out <laughs> dyslexia right um they'll be rolling out a lot of names but back in your and my day i think we're in the same generation yeah we are a little older but it made me run around the block that's yeah that was, that you, was the cure <laughs> you know we sat at the back of the class in abject confusion over with what i was described as unteachable right um by one teacher um in a school report um which is devastating um actually it's devastating words to hear um, from an educator. Yeah. Um, and so for me, focus took me 15 years. So I failed many times um, through that lack of focus, discovering you have a creative mind um, through an education system that is antiquated 
um, and hasn't changed greatly now for the current environment we're in. <laughs> this is even worse. Um, which is even worse. And when you think about the distilling of information, I heard you were at Web Summit, weren't you? So yeah. Tony Blair said something really interesting at Web Summit. Teaching isn't teaching anymore. It's just distilling the amount of information we're throwing at young people. And it's, I think it's, we can have a, a whole further chat about that later because I think it's a very interesting area. Um, so fundamentally, for me, focus was always very difficult and it was my downfall. So once I ma- mastered that to a point, it was all about hiring remarkable, brilliantly intelligent, normally younger um, people. That, um, And I have some exceptional people in my team, MDs, that lead it which leave me um, to probably get on with what I'm best suited for, um, which is a bit of, is around the creative drawing dots together. I think you're a, you're someone that draws dots together for yeah. people. I get that sense as well. That's a very entrepreneurial piece. It's a creative piece of saying, ah, oh, that's going to work. That bit's going to fit in there, um, which means we're probably not the most academic of, uh, <laughs> of people at the same time. But so for me, that's a really crucial point. But I, um, I think, when I think about those key things to business success um, and who you hire and well, autonomy is very crucial. People that can get on with things themselves is vital. So that's a, a, bi- a big thing for me. It's someone that you can hire that's autonomous. Um, the second piece is someone that's restless. And restless can be seen in a negative way and a positive way. For me, this restless is this itch to do things better or find out how I can do things differently and to always question, not in a negative way, how we can get better at something. So I think if someone told me to choose two words, it would be that autonomy and restlessness. And of course, focus we know is is crucially important. That's awesome. I always say be kind, be kind of your future self, be more interested than interesting. Yeah, I saw you. And those yeah, are, yeah, that's, that. that's right what you're that, talking yeah. about. Last issue, you know, when we get stuck into this more compassionate capitalism side of things, mm. purpose-driven lifestyles that revolve around business and NGOs mm. and all types of organizations, but truly impactful business, one of the words that are is neglected, but yet you seem to do a really great job at it, is profitability. Mm. And profitability, some people think, is counterintuitive to what we do, but to me it's crucial. So I'd love to see your perspective of profitability in your business and how you execute on or prioritize the profitability of the business beyond the purpose. So what's interesting is we we started talking about a shared value model as soon as Professor Michael Porter from Harvard coined the phase in 2011. The whole business was established um, the Beyond Sport group was established off the very notion that the corporate sector was going to need a place to to hide or soften itself um, post the financial crisis. And that was the basis of our business. That we we had an instinct, um, I suppose, that uh, you're going to miss, have to mix social and business objectives together. Um, Tony Blair, who was our chairman, actually uh, to start with said in our opening, it was a remarkable opening, uh, we had a, a lunchtime gathering and it was M- Martin Sorrell was there uh, from w, you know former WPP and uh, Keith Mills was there, the guy who ran the Olympics, uh, Lord Putman from UNICEF and Tony Blair got up, uh, got up and said, I th- and this was, you know, remember 2008 we launched. Yeah. So right in the middle Rough of year. And he, he just turned around and he said, you know, my only hope is we can hang on. You're so ahead of the wave. I hope we can hang on. 
And he's completely right. And now everyone obviously is talking about purpose and I d- we don't sound so groundbreaking anymore. Right. Um, but that's, that's an, a, another discussion about where the future goes of purpose is fascinating. So for me, getting the mix right is not seeing purpose as a, a 360 turn in your business. You know, I've, many people come to me and say, what's our purpose? A law firm come to me and say, what's our purpose? Your purpose is to bill more hours. It's just to do it through the prism of whether it works for society. And you now have more stakeholders than your shareholders. Your stakeholders, your employees, they are your clients. They are your supply chain. Um, and of course, they're your shareholder. Um, but it's also society as well. And I think so for us, um, that is a, a complete 360 look that we'll have. If, if someone comes to us and says, I just want to be good to society, it's too broad. It's almost too big a brief right. for us to work to a little bit. Um, but I also feel at the moment that when people are talking about it, and I, I attended an event um, uh, last week, and the, the subject matter was uh, profit and purpose discussed. And I said, well, can we stop talking about that and just talk about profit, actually? Because the way things are moving, the consumer is changing. So attitudes are changing. I think it's 76% of under 35 will make a decision now based on whether they're buying off someone ethical or sustainable. We know now that certain pe- people will really check out who they're going to be working for and whether they're contributing to society in some sort of way. So I think we need to stop this conversation on how do you blend the two together because the reality is the market's changed. Um, so th- I think that's quite important. So there's that business case. On the broader case, there's a necessity to change at the moment. And that's for all of us because uh, fundamentally it's tougher for business to sell to a fragmented world. Um, and as issues become more substantive to deal with, the private sector has to blend very much um, and support the public sector over what change is going to look like. And most fundamentally, this comes to life when we look at innovation and change. You were at Web Summit, and I was sitting there looking around, pretty amazing, 70,000 people. Yeah, sold out. Yeah, you know why I looked at it? And I saw the largest gathering of white people I've ever seen in my entire life in one place. Wow. I reckon 95% of the people attending Web Summit were white. Yeah, I was one of the darkest people there. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was mind-blowing. <laughs> and, you know, that's why Beyond Innovation, as we're having now, you know, down at the LA Dodgers and with the Tiger Woods Foundation, with ESPN, SAP, and EverFi, it's such a crucial event. Because my sense is... My sense is, is that we, we only like sharing the spoils when we've created enough for ourselves. And as I walked around Web Summit and I was hosting some panels and, you know, I suppose the UN Compact was there and I was hosting something at the Sustainable Development Goals uh, media zone there. And it, I just looked around. I said, this is a complete disaster because when we're facing some of the most challenging times around sustainability, hugely challenging times. Innovation's what's gonna pull us out. No doubt. And at the edge of it, if we're not bringing everyone to the party on this, um, you know, we've got, we've got a problem on hand. If we're not making sure that we have gender equity, that we're bringing people in from less advantaged communities, that we're sharing um, this tech revolution with a more diverse group, where's the diversity of thought going to come from? How are we really going to address most of the issues around those 17 sustainable development goals are being 
you know, are, are on the people that are less advantaged. <laughs> so they know what the, the, what's going on the on the ground. They right. know the reality. So that real challenge, I think, is how do we really truly make innovation a conversation? If this really is about the whole world coming together um, effectively, then we really have to make that a whole thing. But as I walked around Web Summit, I was blown away um, by it. And I walked away thinking we have a, a even bigger discussion to have around STEM education, around how we make the tech revolution something that's shared. And I think that's quite a big piece to pull together as well. Yeah, I love your perspective and the awareness and attention you know, out of all the people that I knew there, met there, spent those days there, sharing the same as you from stages to panels mm. to mentorship to, you know, I would have to say that's something that I try to be cognizant of. And until you said that, mm. it didn't click in my mind what a disaster that actually was mm. or is. Um, but there's so many complex issues which puts you in the forefront because without people like you, without the insight, experience, situational knowledge in order to execute or at least share a different perspective as a consultant with the largest organizations. And I know we work closely with SAP and their global initiatives yeah, yeah. and AM and yeah. just yeah. amazing companies that are there. We just have, I think, a really big chore. And uh, that's why I believe in enjoying that consistent, persistent pursuit. And I'm glad that there's people like you that are leading the way. And I know you're here with the Dodgers and Tiger Woods Foundation, which a lot of our former interns and employees will be involved as mm -hmm. well, uh, sharing with the world how we just step by step, crawl before we walk, before we run, make this a better place to live. And I think that's the perspective that I love to share on this place is look, a lot of these issues may scare you, may be complex, you may not understand everything that we talk about, but in the end, it's all about just trying your best to make this a better place to live. Yeah, and I think for our industry, this is the great joy and the opportunity and the optimism of it all. Our industry sport has this fantastic opportunity to draw people into this discussion because you, I think you mentioned it at the beginning, it kind of everyone sort of beavers around it, whether it's government, private, so whatever it is, everyone's engaged in it. And um, as we look at that perspective, um, it's that reach out to all the rights holders, teams, leagues, etc., to understand that we are in changing times and that we do as an industry have this fantastic opportunity to really bring things together and use ourselves as a platform to reach out. You know, the great challenge for around sustainability is who have we got to engage the most? Young people and corporations who are probably the most engaged in sport a little way, uh, the corporations. So I look at our opportunity as an industry and what you and I do, David, and what you've talked about. Um, you know, so so much in every book you've read it, you, you, you've it written it, it kind of talks about it. And so at the very heart of it, we have this wonderful opportunity um, to deliver real change as a, but we, you know, we need to move on and, and, and make sure that we're engaging with the right people. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure having you here, Nick. And uh, just looking forward to all the great things that you're going to do. And more importantly, I'm looking about forward to getting engaged with you to help assist in any way I can to be of service. So what an extraordinary business. I love to learn about it. I held off on doing too much research, actually, because I love to learn right without, you know, there's just that when you're doing these things, for me, it's a balance of understanding where that background is. But most importantly, at least getting a fresh perspective to ask the right questions or else you do so much. We'd be so far away from what I think people would understand. So thank you so much. Well, for listen, Dave, thank you for everything you do and everything. It's been a pleasure to be here. And thanks to your team. Yeah, they're awesome. They're well, awesome. we got Nick Keller, CEO and founder of Benchmark. 
check him out. He is a world thought leader, and that's an understatement. With Dave Meltzer, Entrepreneurs, The Playbook. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.